So, uh, some people tell me that I'm a master at beating a dead horse. Okay, and what they mean by that is I can talk, and I can talk, and I can talk, and I can talk about the same thing for a very long time. The same topic over and over and over, coming from different angles, another perspective, maybe a question rhetorical or two, to just keep you stuck in this topic that I'm excited or passionate about. That's what people say that sometimes I have a tendency to do. Any of you experience this? No, no, you didn't. Of course not. This is a rumor. Nothing you've experienced. In these moments, people crave an end. Right? There's got to be a conclusion to this. Will this ever end? Are we just going to keep digging a hole here? Never get out? Right? Uh, there's a, uh, when you find yourselves interacting with people like that, you, you're dying for some way out, some conclusion to this thing that we keep finding ourselves in. Well, uh, let me maybe give you a strategy for dealing with people like me. Are you ready? Conclude something by introducing another. Right? So when I'm in the midst of something that I just can't stop talking about, you try this. Hey, how about them Yankees, right? You just switch topics because guys like me are also distractible, <laughs> right? So you conclude something by introducing another. Guys, we've been in this series in Acts, and we've been looking at a single event for the last four weeks. Has anybody realized that? Corey's like, I'm done with this. We got to move on, right? <laughs> we have been in this this amazing event that's taken place where Peter and John are walking into the temple and they heal this crippled beggar from birth. And then the next week, we talked about the response to that. How the people are wondering, how in the world has this happened? And Peter and John tell them, Jesus did it. And then the next week, we saw that Peter and John were arrested. They were annoying the Sanhedrin, the religious big dogs of the day. And they called them in and said, by what power and authority are you doing this? And guess what they said? Jesus did it. He's the only one. By his name alone are people saved as this man has been made well. And then the next week, as they come out of that, being told to never talk about Jesus again, we preached, or, or Jeremy preached a, a passage that talks about their response, how the church cried out to God and said, give us boldness. The world's saying, shush. And you're telling us, Lord, to speak up. Give us boldness to be faithful to that. And they did that. And so now, I've got good news for you. We're continuing our series. But Luke is concluding that whole narrative. And guess how he's doing it? By introducing another. He did this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, where he's giving some general statements about the church, about the essence and the fabric of this new community of faith. And so guess what he's doing again? Specific situation, and now he's coming back and he's, he's giving us an intro to what the fabric essence of this new community was all about. So the questions I want to throw out there for us to think about are this. What is the church like in this time? What's the fabric of the community? More importantly, maybe, if you will, 
what kind of an effect had the gospel had on that community? There's a direct effect there, cause effect. How is the gospel shaped in them this kind of community? And last, I want to ask this. What does it say to us in terms of the essence and fabric of Renovation Church? Who are we? If people were to interact with us, how would they describe who we are? And next, how has the gospel transformed us and what do we begin to let go of in this world? That is, what are we holding on to as a people because of the gospel and what are we letting go of as a people because of the gospel? Acts 4, verses 32 through 37. I'm going to do my best to preach quickly, but you know how that goes. I'm a yapper. I believe God has something He wants to teach us tonight that's helpful and meaningful uh, uh, for the, the, the unique season of ministry that we're in. So let's listen to what the Spirit says through Luke. Acts 4, 32-37. Now the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet feet amen <clears throat> i hear this often when we're people or us are in a state of frustration about the church or their church i'll hear somebody say and maybe you've heard it as well i'll hear somebody say something like this man we've got to go back to being an acts two church or a, if you will Acts 4 church. That's what we've got to do. We've got to get back to being an Acts 2 church. Anybody ever heard that? Raise your hand. Maybe I'm just weird. Maybe I just hang out with too many church people. What do you think? Yes. Maybe I do. We've heard that before. People are frustrated. What do they mean by that? What's going on? Well, look at the first verse. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Did you hear what it said? Basically, there is absolutely, in the midst of everyone who believed in Jesus, no division. That's a pretty intense reality. That's far from the reality in which we live, isn't it? They were of one heart and soul. All of them. The full number. Right? Not some of them. Not the 20-80 rule where 20% are all in and 80% are just spectating. 
heard that? Right? The full number. Every man, woman, and child that loved Jesus was all in. And they were all one heart and soul. Union. Unity. No division. No separation. Now, it doesn't mean that they were all alike, right? It doesn't mean that they all had the same preferences. It doesn't mean that they all would have chosen the same carpet color or the same songs to sing. It just means that the fabric of who they were, the gospel had now transformed their lives in such a way that they held on to one another so dearly that nothing, no preference would ever get in the way of them being one. We live in a day and age, we do church in a day and age where there are denominations upon denominations, distinctions upon distinctions. Everyone's on a different page. All those who believe in Jesus, right? Imagine this day where the full number, all oriented around the Gospel, fully submitted to Jesus, buying into the apostolic teaching, are all in and they're letting all of these other things go that always seem to mean so much to us as individuals and they're saying we're one heart and soul. That's who they were. And so when people talk about being an Acts 2 or an Acts 4 church, this is one of the things I think they're talking about that we crave unity in the body of Christ, do we not? Right? We have a, a separatistic, denominationalistic, ultra-fundamentalistic, whatever. But I think the thing that actually kills us today is just hyper-individualism. Right? Like, we're not interested in denominations. Uh, we don't want to... Well, not, oh man, that's... Not interested in that. That's not cool anymore. Uh, we're not really interested in you know, separating out from the culture. We're not interested in that. Not hyper-fundies. Nope. But we are individuals, aren't we? We all think that we live, and even in our faith, me and Jesus, it's all about you and me. That's a song we sing, or a song in some of our CDs. Just you and me. Clear. It's not just you and me, Jesus. It's us and Jesus. It's the bride fully attached to one another, and the bride fully attached to Him. Right? That's what the Gospel has done. Brought us together so that we're holding dear to one another. Faith in Christ results in our holding on to Christ's people. We're not giving up on that. And so many people today are giving up on the church, right? They're giving up on the people of God. I'm out. I'm into Jesus, but I'm out in reference to the church. But we see that when you truly embrace the gospel of Jesus, what kind of community that gospel creates and sustains. A community of people that are one heart and one soul. So they are consumed with that. The gospel has created and sustained a new community. It reminds me a little bit of Ephesians chapter 4. Right? Ephesians 1 through 3. This is the gospel. This is what God has done. All indicative statements. Not one command in the first three chapters. And then all of a sudden you see a shift. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, make every effort to live at unity with one another, keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope 
that belong to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and uh, through all and in all. Why are they making every effort to be one? Because that's what the gospel has done. The gospel has created one bride, a united people, heart and soul, no division, united to its head, Jesus. That's what the gospel has done. You know, we talk, we, we talk so much about global fellowship, Missio Church, and jo- a lot of Jordan Cinciano's time is with, with this organization called the Global Fellowship. You know what their tag is? One gospel, one church, one mission. That's it. That's it. That's, that's what we see here, right? We see that we are one as we embrace the one gospel, right? We're a part of the one church. There's only one church in the world. There's congregations and assembling of people all over the place. And amen to that. But there's one church in the world. There's one church in Syracuse. There's one church in the northern suburbs of Onondaga County. There aren't churches all over the place. Let's be clear. There's one church from God's perspective that stands on the gospel and belongs to Jesus. I think we have to come to grips with that and see that, that, that our individualism, our denominationalism, our preferences surely come into conflict with the truth of the gospel. And the gospel confronts us and calls us to something so much more. Amen? One heart. One soul. Faith in Christ results into holding on to Christ's people. But not only that, faith in Christ results in us holding on to Christ's mission. Look at verse 33. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was upon them. Right? It's one church, one community of faith, and there's one mission. It's Christ's mission. Remember what he said, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This is the mission that this one church has been called to. And these people are holding on to it dearly in the face of incredible opposition, aren't they? They refuse to let go of the call that Jesus has put on their life. We need as well to refuse to let go of the call that Jesus has on us as His one people. This is no isolated verse. It's connected to 1.8. Power, right? With great power the apostles were giving. That again is a fulfillment of Jesus' promise in Acts 1.8. You will receive it. So here it is. It's also an answer to their prayers, right? In the previous passage, what does it say? Now, Lord, look upon their threats, grant to your service, servants to continue to speak, sp- uh, speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. Power. So they're speaking the word, and power is accompanying that word. That's an answer to their prayers. This is not some isolated statement. This is the faithful obedience of the church to the Lord's mission and the faithfulness of Jesus to keep his promise to provide power as they did it. Isn't that awesome? So here the church is. Faith in Christ is what has made them who they are. And faith in Christ, on the one hand, has them holding so dearly, holding on with their life, refusing to let go of the people that they have been joined to because of the gospel. 
And at the same time, they're holding tight to the mission that they have. That's got to be us. We're going to be effective. Let the gospel take root to such an extent in our lives that we are now a people holding on to the people and holding on to the mission that Jesus has called us to. Is that us? Is that how you would describe renovation? Is that how you describe the larger body in this area that we're all about the people and all about the mission of Jesus? I pray that in increasing measure that's Renovation Church, that that's Missio Church, that that's North Central Assembly of God, that that's Calvary Chapel, that that's Northside Baptist, that that's Grace Covenant, as Jim preached, Jim Murphy preached this morning. Redeemer Covenant. Shall I go on? All the communities of faith that stand on the gospel, that all of us, regardless of name, regardless of logo, regardless of all of that, would say, you know, all that stuff is great, we do it, yay, no one wants to mess with that, but here's the deal. If it's going to come into conflict, with the one church in Syracuse and come into conflict with us being faithful to the one mission of the one Jesus, then we're out on all fronts. That's what faith in Christ does. That's what the gospel has done to these people. That's what the gospel, as we truly believe in it and embrace it, is going to do in all of our lives. Amen? Faithful to hold on to Christ's mission. Faithful to hold on. I think that's why people say we've got to get back to being about an Acts 2 kind of thing. We've got to get back to the Acts 4 expression. Man, we've got to get back to. That's what they're talking about. Something is radically uh, different than what we're experiencing now. That's our inner crave. Inner crave for community. Inner crave for union with others to do life with, to share life with to be authentic, to allow people to ask us the difficult questions. We're going to give up on all of the things that the world would offer us, but this is the kind of gift that the gospel has given us that is eternal and unfading, that will never go away. One another. It's family, right? It's family. One another. That's what the gospel has done, and I pray that that is what happens to Renovation Church and the church throughout all of the world. Secondly, we see not just that faith in Christ leads to, on the one hand, a holding tight to Christ's people and Christ's mission, but faith in Christ is also a letting go of our earthly temporal possessions. Oh, no, He did. Yes, He did. The Scriptures confront us, right? We're holding tight to the people of God and the Son of God. And at the very same time, we're letting go of all the temporal, earthly possessions, any gift that this world would offer us that moss destroy and rust kill and all that stuff, we're going to let it go. Hold tight, we're going to let it go. That's what faith in Christ does. Holding on to Christ, the people, and His mission, ultimately is a letting go. love going to my parents' house, love going to my grandparents' house, love going to my in-laws' house. 
I'm going to tell you why. Because I can get in the fridge. I can get in the cupboard. I'm wearing an extra large tonight just to show that. Okay? Rocking the XL. All right? I can go in the fridge. I can turn on the TV. I can go into the cupboard. I can do a cannonball in the 16 by 32 in-ground pool. That's what I can do. You know why? Because when I go to my in-laws, when I go to my parents, when I go to my grandparents' house, you know what? They have communicated to me that everything in this house, everything that we own, is fully at your disposal. What's mine is yours. Look at what it says here. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Now let's be clear, when they say they had everything in common, that has nothing to do with personalities, preferences, right? That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is this, holding everything in common, they said all of their resources, all of their assets, everything that God had given unto them, entrusted to them, they said, hey, look it, it's all God's, it's all from Him, so it's yours. You, you, can, you can use whatever you need. Anything that, that's here, anything that I would technically considered to be mine under my care, it's all yours. right? What a beautiful statement. Again, I think this as well confronts our individualism. Our lack of at least perceived connection to the needs, issues, uh, desires of other people. right? There are, there's a percentage of our life that we may allocate to others. Uh, we'll be willing to do that. There's... Um, uh, times uh, that we're willing to invest in. There's, there's, there's certain resources from our income that we set aside. We say, okay, that, uh, I'm willing to give that up, but don't mess with this stuff. Or even for some of us, that's not the case. Maybe for some of us, we're so self-saturated, we're so consumed with our own needs perceived, our own desires, that we're completely out of touch with everything else, and we don't even consider other people. That's hyper-individualism. That's what happens when we look at other people and say, that's not a me issue, that's a you issue. That's a statement we use a lot, just to be silly. right? That's a you issue. You'll hear some of the elders yip and yap about when they want to just tease one another. But the reality is, is that's a you issue is not a part of the, the people of God. Your issue is a me issue. right? Look around at the people in this room. Their issues are your issues. Their needs are your needs. Your resources have been given by God to you for the needs of others and for the glory of His name. You're stewards, right? You're you're not owners. God's an owner. 313 Stanton Drive. That's my house. That's where I live. That's my house. Everyone say, it's not my house. Matter of fact, the bank pretty much owns it anyway. But, you know, I call it my house, but it's not my house. It's not Nation Star Bank's mortgage company's house. It's the Lord's. Everything that we have in our care, under our, right, in our possession, every dollar in our pocket, our savings account, every time unit that we have, all our emotional capital, all of our talents, all of our relationships, everything that we have is a gift from God, right? 
And these people see that. The gospel shapes that reality in these people. And again, we say, I want to Acts 4 church. I want to Acts 2 church. Well, this is what that means. The people are taking a look at all that they have, and they're saying, not saying, how can we double it for our own good in the future? How can we invest it for us, for me? It's all about me. But they're looking at the resources and saying, how can we pull it? How can we bring it all together for the good of the people that are in our midst? For the taking care of the people in our midst? What a radical thing. What a powerful thing. that You know what? We, we, we see often, but sometimes we don't see that. Especially in our society today. Again, not an isolated verse. If you go back to chapter 2, it's the same thing. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This was not an isolated incident in the church. This is who they were. Stewards. Representatives of the generosity of God. Right? This is our fifth outcome at Renovation Church. We talk about it all the time. Right? stewarding our resources to the glory of God and the good of others. That's why God has given you all that you have. Not for your own benefit only. Yes, for your joy, but for His glory and for the needs and good of other people, whatever that is. In some ways, we could see it as a, the gospel. Again, we're using the hand image. keeps us holding on tight to Jesus, His people, and His mission. And it's an open-handedness that we have with everything else. You can have it. My heart's not really attached to it. If it, were to, if it were to be gone, I'd be okay with it. Maybe I'd be a little sad, you know, but it, I understand that this is from God and I give it to you. Whatever you need. My house is open. My cupboard's open. You can do a cannonball in my pool anytime. Because God's given that to me. Imagine if we could be committed to one another to that extent. Because I think often what we do is say, yeah, we're, we're in, man, I, I love that guy. He's so cool. I like hanging out with him, man. He's, he's great. I love him, right? But that's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. Love looks like a lot of costly generosity, doesn't it? That's love. Some of you are sitting there going, wait a minute. This is socialism? This is communism. I'm out. Right? The Russians are coming. That was Peter from Brady. <coughs> right? Friends, let's not water this down to some sort of political ideology. Let me ask you this question. What law are they obeying? At least in the text. What regulation is forcing any of these people to do this? Right? Because that's socialism. That's communism, right? We're going to set up a whole system that makes people be generous. We're going to force it. Because they can't do it on their own, we're going to make it. It's the best for society. Redistribution of wealth. We're going to make laws about it. Friend, look at the text. Where is the law? There it is, right? Jesus showed up in a dream to Peter and He said, please enforce this new policy. Everyone's got to give all their stuff on the table. 
Do you see it there? Is there any law that is regulating or requiring these people to do this? No. This is simply a voluntary, loving response to the love and generosity of God in their life. Right? So often we say, man, who came? We start measuring things. How much did they give? We can measure those things. It's great. But it doesn't tell the whole story, right? It doesn't talk about the fabric, the substance, the essence of who these people are. But, and the most tragic thing when people don't show and they don't give and they don't care, and the, the most tragic thing is not that they didn't do those things. The most tragic thing about that is that the gospel's not taken root in their heart enough to the extent that they're just voluntarily submitting themselves to that. I want that. I'm in. God's given me so much. He's poured out all of His grace, all of His riches and resources in Jesus Christ. He has handed over to me and the people of God. I'm good with it. He can have it. I just want to give. Or, man, I recognize that these are eternal brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is a blood issue. This is family. This is about our name that we share in Jesus Christ. I'm willing to say, hey, nobody's even got to ask me to give. I just voluntarily do it as an outflow of what the gospel's done in my life. There's no law other than love, right? Isn't that beautiful? These people weren't forced to give. They weren't regular. It's not about 10% this and serve one week a month. It wasn't about that. We create those things because nobody just thinks on their own what? Because <laughs> we're broken in sin. We're broken. But as the gospel takes root in increasing measure, these are just voluntary, obvious, quick responses. These people aren't praying about it for weeks on end. Should we give to Jimmy? Let's pray about it. They just did it as an outflow. They saw a need and they met it because they loved one another. Amen? Look at that. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. Again, an extreme statement. Right? The full number were heart and soul. There was not a needy person among them. Imagine if we could say that about Renovation Church. And you know, I've seen it. I've seen that lived out in our midst the last couple years together through missional community where someone has lost a job and they've been struggling financially and then all of us came together and we pooled resources and we blessed that person with basically their month's shortfall. What is that? That's gospel in our heart. Voluntarily, in love, blessing someone else. I would love for that to be what we're all about here. It's so contra-culture. That's not a me issue, that's a them issue. Maybe they could phone a, a, a governmental agency and get help. Imagine if the church responded to need and didn't relegate need to the government. That's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. This is family. This is, this is it. And that's what Barnabas is doing, right? It's a contrast. Really, Barnabas really belongs with Ananias and Sapphira, so Jordan may talk about that a little bit next week. 
But Joseph, that's, this is just an example of some guy who sells a field and brings the money to the apostles' feet. He's motivated by love. He's motivated by need. Nothing else. I want to make a, a few closing comments that are kind of random as I was reflecting on this. Number one, community is the byproduct of commitment. I want community. I've heard so many people over the years say, I want community. Okay. Oh, I can't do that. That's a lot. I'm out. But man, I, I really want community. Okay. Can't. Right? So many people say, man, I really need a small group. Okay, there's one on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I can't do that. I'm out. These are some other things that are really important to me. You get the point, right? Friends, if we want to experience the joy and the power of community, commitment's got to be a part of the deal. Right? Think about it. Community is the byproduct of commitment. Right? What commitment did Jesus make on our behalf? Let's think about that for just a moment. Right? What has gone on here? This community of faith uh, in chapter uh, 2 is the byproduct of the proclamation of the gospel and the embracing of that gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ has created community. There's no community without Jesus. Can we be clear about that too? There's no community without Jesus. There's no community without covenant. Can I use a big word? Covenant. That is an, a, an eternal commitment that God has made to His people and secured through Jesus. There's no community here at Renovation Church if it's not built on, created by, and sustained by Jesus. And it's a result of His commitment to us as He dies in our place for our sin and was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father. That's where community was made. Through Christ's commitment to us. And so, why would we think in any way, shape, or form, that we would be experiencing the joy of community if there's no commitment on our end. If there's no regular, consistent, I'm in at all costs, no matter how I feel about it, no matter how scary it is, no matter how inconvenient it is, no matter what it costs me personally, that's what's going to create community, right? Community is the byproduct of commitment. No commitment, no community. It's that simple. And let me make another statement. Anything that is worth anything in this world is kind of tough, right? Work, commitment, it doesn't come easy. There's no staples easy button when it comes to community. Requires commitment. Second thing that is random is this. Christ will have no competitor. I've been saying all along, right, that on the one hand, Faith in Christ helps us hold on to Christ, His people, and His mission. Giving you the idea that maybe another hand is available to grab onto something else. Let me be clear. When Christ calls us, when we believe in Jesus, it's both hands clung to Him. He will have no competitor. And I think that's an important thing to say Because we as evangelical American Christians so want both and, don't we? We want the joy of community 
We want to be givers. But oh, we want to be spenders. <laughs> That's why they create cap created Capital One Visa cards. No, 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 right? We want to be givers. We want to be spenders. We want the joy of all the gospel offers us. And at the same time, man, we want, to, we want to experience the temporal joys of what American society promises us, even though we're frustrated in the moment that we don't seem to have it. Man, that economy's got to pick up. Why? Which is true. I reject Lockheed's removal from Syracuse. I just want to be clear about that. Okay? Okay, submit to the Lord. Anyway, you get the idea. Christ will have no competitor. You can't have both. You can't have Jesus and the world. It's all or nothing. Man, you say, man, that's kind of extreme. That's how extremely wonderful the gospel is and what it's done. <laughs> Let's not minimize the gospel and the effect that it has on us as people. That it's a segment or a percentage or a portion of our life. It's everything. Everything. To the extent that all of us, both hands, are clinging as tight as we possibly can muster up under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit, clinging to Jesus, His people, and His mission, and being willing to let go of any temporal joy or satisfaction that this world would ever offer us, no matter what it looks like. Faith in Christ is both a holding on and a letting go. But as we hold on, Christ will have no competitor. It's both hands clinching to the base of the cross. Like I said, there's a lot of books out there about quitting church, right? Love Jesus, hate the church. That's a great title, isn't it? Bad book. Just saying. Sorry, Dan. Dan Kimball, sorry. Um, interesting thoughts in it, so let's be clear. Not dogging him too much. Love Jesus, hate the church. Quitting church, right? Men are leaving the church. Women are leaving the church. Families are leaving the church. You get the point. It seemed like for a while, every new book on the top 10 bestseller list at an evangelical bookstore had something negative to say about the church. Except for the Bibles, of course, that were next to it. <coughs> Books are based on stories of disenfranchised people, right? They don't want to, and my heart here is I don't want to negate that. I don't want to minimize that in any way, shape, or form. I know many of you and many of the people that live in these northern suburbs of Onondaga County, the people we're trying to reach, have been hurt. And for good reason. We have hurt them. Can we say that? Because we're one church. Next time somebody's frustrated about the church, don't defend yourself, okay? That's the worst thing you can do. Is say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Two words. I'm sorry. Two words. I'm sorry. And if you want to add more, say, we have failed in so many ways to represent Jesus and the true meaning of the gospel. Say you're sorry. But while I'm saying that, not wanting to negate or minimize those experiences at all, want to be sensitive to them. But friends, let's be clear, like that's not everybody's story, amen? Not everybody's story is I went to church, I believed in Jesus, and everybody was really mean to me. That's not that's not everybody's story. Friends, let me that's not my story. If I can just for a moment here, just share quickly about my story. 
My story is this. God grabbed my heart at a young age. When I was angry, hurt, alone, frustrated. He grabbed my heart. Can't explain it. Right? Just, he just grabbed my heart. Yet, I can explain it a little. He grabbed my heart through the preaching and the love and the concern, the generosity of God's people who saw me for who I was and that loved me endlessly no matter what. Many of us here today are byproducts, are committed to Jesus, are committed to the church because we have experienced either in, in, in spoon-filled form, like spoon-fed, just a little bit here, a little bit there. It's like golf. Man, you have that one time, that one putt you're in for the rest of your life. Next thing you know, like 75 next drives are into the woods. But you're still in because of that one putt. When you taste the beauty and the joy of true gospel community, you're all in. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And I think actually that's why it hurts so bad when the opposite is experienced. Because it's so good. And it's that offensive when it's supposed to be that good. But we will fail each other, won't we? We will sin against one another. And like we try to teach, my, uh, try to teach our kids at home, no matter how many times we sin, there's only one remedy and only one response. Jesus and forgiveness. That's my story. God grabbed my heart and He did it through people who said, we believe in Jesus. We're one heart and soul no matter what. We're all in together. And we refuse to not, we're not ashamed of the gospel. We're going to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus and we're going to do that until the, until the cows come home in eternity. That's my story. So let me ask you a question. What are you held by today? Right? Because we're talking so much about what we hold on to and what we let go of. But let me ask you, what are you held by? Because you'll hold on, what you're, hold on to what you're held by. I think that story's important to hear because I'm only holding on to the very thing that has taken hold of me. So if you haven't been held by the love, the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus, let me offer that to you right now. Maybe God is speaking to you personally in this passage and amongst these people who've been united to Him. And maybe Jesus, all He's done in His death and resurrection is grabbing your heart right now. Let Him hold you. And in response... Hold on to Him with all that you are, both hands, and you will be His. That's a message this community needs to hear. That's a message your neighbor needs to hear, your coworker, your family member. That's what my circle was all about. Letting the world know the grace, the glory, the sacrifice, the forgiveness the transformation of their identity that is found in Jesus, the one that holds those who need Him most. So what holds you? What are you held by? And now what do you hold on to? You hold on to Christ, His people, 
Do you hold on to his mission? Are you holding on to something in this world? What idol do you cling to? Tonight, let's repent and walk away. And thirdly, I ask, what do you need to let go of? Ask this simple question. When time, resources, relationships, talents, what do you need to let go of for the sake of someone else? Let God impress that on your heart. One thing, time unit, dollar, whatever it is, relationship, what do you need to let go of for the glory of God and the good of others? You, let the Spirit work on you. I want you to, to write it down in your bulletin. Write it down in your Bible. Let the Spirit do work on you in that. And if there's something inside of you that says, then you need to go back to the Gospel and what God has done. Let Christ hold you so that you can let go. And then, as you think about what you need to let go of, I want you to ask, who do you need to give it to? There's someone very specific, either in the people of God or in your community, that, guess what, needs to receive that which you're letting go of. It's very personal, and it's very practical. That's faith. It's personal, and it's practical. We're held by Jesus, amen? And faith in Jesus results in us, on the one hand, holding tight to Jesus Himself, His people, and His mission. And on the other hand, it results in us letting go of all temporal, earthly possessions. I pray that's us at Renovation. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank You for this time. It is truly good to hear these things. They are corrective to us. Lord, I pray that You would have Your way in our hearts, that You would lead us, and that we would obey, that we would cling to Jesus, we would cling to one another, and we would let go of everything this world would offer. We can't hold on to something that's fading away. Eventually, there'll be nothing there to hold. So let us hold to what is eternal and what is truly good. Jesus, His people, and His mission. And may we never let go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.